If you were here last week, you know that we are in a two-part sermon series. Pastor Brian from last week had shared that we had drawn some straws and that he got the short straw, and so he got to preach the, the sad message. And then he set me up by saying that this week I get to preach the happy message. So there are all kinds of people going, hey, man, I'm looking forward to that happy message today. And I'm like, believe me, you are not going to be running ahead going, ah, I'm so happy. That's not going to happen. All right? So if you're thinking that was the case, I'm sorry. You're free to just get up and leave now if you'd like. Okay? It's not going to be like, I hope you leave happy. But I, what I want to do more than anything is, is not just to entertain you and make you happy. I want to share with you something that, that God did in my life pertaining to this message that, that Pastor Bryant was talking about last week. The message that he taught last week was about judging God and judging others, as opposed to loving God and loving others. He shared that that's, that that's the devil's primary strategy, and he gave all kinds of examples of how he gets us to do that. And the reason why he shared is because when I am judging or when you are judging somebody, whether it's God or somebody else, what that does is it begins to erode a relationship with them and it, it removes from us and them a sense of belonging. We do not belong to certain people based upon the ways that we judge them. And he gave illustrations or examples of that. In fact, he, he left some of the props out here so that you could see them again this week. He, he mentioned the politician and how they're just so full of crap that you can't believe anything that they say. You've been lied to. They got into office somehow, some way, based upon all kinds of things that they were going to do. And then after a while, you're like, you're not doing any of those things. I don't believe you. I don't belong to you. And you don't belong to me. I'm not voting for you. And so we just consider them to be, be worthless. No belonging. And then there's the woman who's trash. There's, there's the woman who's got eight different kids from five different fathers, who's the welfare mom, who somehow, someway believes that she's entitled to more money from me through taxation. And she's working on kid number nine right now. Hello. I'm sorry, but no belonging. I want nothing to do with you. I don't want to belong to you. I don't want you to belong to me. I'm not responsible for you. Then there's the junkie. The dude who wants to break into your house in the middle of the night and steal all the precious things that you've worked so hard for just so he can pawn them off at a fraction of the value so he can get loaded again. Well, I've got something I'd like to load him up with. It's a nine millimeter around about that long, and I promise you he won't be bugging anybody else again. Then there's this group. Last week, Brian had his third grade teacher represented here. And he said, you're just, you're just not safe. <laughs> uh, I'm scared of you. I don't want anything to do with you. Can't go around you. I know this category better than any other. See, I, I grew up in an environment that taught me, a religious environment that taught me how to identify unsafe people. And I knew the rules. You see, I grew up in a religious environment where we were taught that you were supposed to behave a certain way. You were supposed to act a certain way. And if you stepped outside of those rules in any way, shape, or form, you were then considered an unsafe person. And so I learned at a very early age, what do unsafe people look like? Don't go near those kind of people. In fact, 
Isolate yourself away from those kind of people so you don't get caught up in all the stuff that they're doing. Shield, insulate. And you know what? Sooner or later, there's going to be some punishment from them. That somehow, some way, bad things are going to happen to them. And that's God's way of bringing them to justice, bringing them to their awareness that they need something better in life. And if they would just give their hearts over to God, then things are going to get better. But we stay away from them. We, we don't have anything to do with them because they play cards. Yeah, I know. Sinners. Some of them danced. And I was taught that to dance is equivalent to knocking on hell's door. If you drank, you are already in hell. And if you smoked a cigar or a pipe or a cigarette or weed, did any kind of drugs, definitely you are hell bound. Nothing to do with them. I got that. In fact, it wasn't even just those kinds of people. I was even taught to apply it to other religious people that weren't necessarily a part of my brand. For instance, I was taught that, you know, if you didn't go to our church, well, you, you, you still might make it to heaven. I mean, you might. <laughs> I can't say for sure, you know, but um, certainly you're not operating with all of the right things that God would, would want you to do, you know. And so you, know, you take your chances, but God bless you. And, and that's really the way that I was taught. In fact, prior to the sermon this morning, Pastor Brian came into my office. And he's going to pray for me. And, and I, I grabbed this for him. I said, you know what? I'm going to use this today. It's uh, from my grandpa. It's of, uh, of all the things that I have from my grandpa, his books and all of the stuff that uh, was very important to him, this was one of the things that was passed along to me. And uh, it's this gavel. And he says, cool, was your grandpa a judge? I'm like, no, he's a, he's a pastor. <laughs> yep, pastor from age 16 to 68. And uh, it's funny how the thing that symbolizes the religiosity that he taught, grew up in, and that I grew up in was to judge. It's to judge. Anytime you're looking for justice, you are playing the part of being the judge. And you know what? I was totally cool with all that. Honestly, growing up in that environment, I became an expert at judging. That's what I was taught to do. And then the weirdest thing happened. I got judged by all the same churchy people that I used to be a part of judging other people. And when that happened, it was like the, the lights came on. I wasn't blinded anymore to how pathetic of a strategy that really is. Because they started treating me the way that I was treating people. And so now I was on the receiving end of it. And they didn't know the story. They didn't seem to even care what the whole story really was. I had just been labeled as a person who was no longer safe. They started to isolate themselves from me. And after a while of experiencing that, I'm like, is this really supposed to be the way that it works? This is supposed to make me go, man, I miss you guys. And, and if God's like you, why would I want that? Why would I be around that kind of an environment? And rather than making me go, oh, gee, I'm just going to do everything I can to be unsafe so I can fit in with you, I got to the place where I'm like, you know what? If you guys don't like me, then, and you know what I'm thinking. <laughs> You're thinking it too, some of you. We have gestures for these things. And you know what? Even right now, me saying that, I'm sure that there are some of you in the room right now that are going, I can't believe that a pastor would even insinuate that he would say, that word combination. 
But here's the truth. Many of us have thought that. Many of us experience that kind of a thought and feeling every single day. But we're way too afraid to just do something in that moment. Because why? Someone might judge me. I promise you this. You catch me in the wrong day, you won't know I'm a preacher. You won't know I'm a pastor. And I started to experience what it was like to be judged. And after a while of isolation from people, I started to believe that, you know what, God? If you are like these people, if you really are the way that I've been taught to believe that you are, I really don't want anything to do with you either. And so, you don't want me, I don't want you. You don't want to belong to me, I don't want to belong to you. And so, just you're back to God now. And my life began to spin completely out of control. And I became an expert at hating God and at hating people. And that's what my life became. And then one day, God crashed into my world. Uninvited. A complete invasion. And he devastated me. And when he did, he began this process in my life. And I want to share with you guys today this process that he, that he took me through. And to a certain degree that he's still taking me through. But I want to clarify something. Even though we're going to go through the process that God took me through, I don't want anybody here to believe that this is the only way that God works. Maybe you've gone through a process that's similar. Maybe you've gone through a process that's a completely different process. Maybe you haven't even begun that process until today. I don't know. I just don't want you to think that this is the only way that God works. Our God is so cool that he will actually tailor a specific plan just to knock you on your can to get your attention. And it'll be unique for you. It won't be the same like he did for me. But I'm praying that today you are devastated by God and that some kind of process begins in your world. But I want to share with you my process. And someday maybe you'll be up here preaching about your process or to somebody else. That's how cool God is. He'll take knuckleheads and let them do stuff like this. So here's this process. If you're one of those note takers and you have uh, that little sheet there that was uh, made for you with some blanks in it, here's the first one for you. The first thing God did was to clarify the gospel for me. The first thing God did was to clarify the gospel for me. That word may not make sense to all of you, so let me explain it. The gospel is just a one-word way of saying it's the message of the good news about Jesus Christ and how he saves people from their sins. That's the gospel. It really is good news. It's supposed to be good news. I didn't grow up with it being good news. I grew up with it kind of in a weird kind of a way, but, but God clarified what the gospel really means to me. And how he did that was... I'm on this plane, and he crashes into me, and I have this radical experience where God begins to do something in my life, and he starts bringing up these passages of Scripture that I had known as a kid, some of which I had memorized, but they were all right here. None of them had really made it into my soul or into my heart. I didn't have a right interpretation of them. Everything was just clouded and confused. Well, he, he reveals this verse to me, and I kid you not... God, you, you know, you remember this moment. That when this verse, when I read this verse this time, I sat there and I, I looked at it and I looked at it and I looked at it. And I'm like, how could I have been such a bonehead and missed this? How did I not get this? Here it is. Colossians 1, verses 19 through 23. And, and time out real quick. Pastor Brian mentioned last week that there was a first and a second Colossians. He wanted me to clarify there is no second Colossians. There's only Colossians. All right, so if some of you last week were like, I can't find second Colossians, what the heck? There is none. Sorry, on behalf of Pastor Brian. It's just a slip. We're in Colossians 1, 
verses 19 through 23. Let me read this to you. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the gospel, the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Honestly, I did not remember the gospel this way. I did not look at it like that. And I don't know even how I, I missed it. And maybe other people got it, but I didn't get it. When I read this verse for the first time, there was this, this incredible sense of, are you kidding me? Spotless? Blameless? Not even a single fault? That's the way you view me? See, I grew up believing, man, if I step out of line and I make one mistake, then I am immediately in a place where I am no longer saved. I'm like, oh, dear God, I hope you don't come back right now. Let me pray. Forgive me for my sin, and, and I won't do it again, I promise. And Oh, crap, I hope I'm, I hope I'm saved. I really don't feel any change or different. And, and I wrestled with this all of my life. Am I the only one who ever experienced anything like that? Is there anybody else as twisted and sick as me? There's one. What, they, two, three, four. Okay, well, wow. This room is filled with messed up people. <laughs> you know what it's like then. This constant battle of wondering, how do you even please this God? I mean, it's like he's waiting for one step, and then I go through the formula of please forgive me, and he's like, oh, fine. It's almost like he's contractually obligated to forgive me now because I said, please forgive me. I, I felt this tremendous pressure growing up, as if somehow, some way, all of my righteousness, all of my spotlessness, was really hinged upon my obedience and my ability to be able to stick with it long enough. And if I didn't, then do as quickly as possible with as much heartfelt compassion as I could give, make the change. Ask for forgiveness and get right back onto the right path. And heaven forbid you ever show anybody that you're unsafe because you know what they're going to do. They're going to isolate you. They're going to put you away from them. That was the gospel to me. And so when God revealed this to me, I honestly, I found myself just going, this is so cool. I can't, I can't hardly believe that this is true. That God would look at a, a, a person like me after everything that I've done. God clarified the gospel for me. He helped me to see that, you know what? He never didn't want to not belong to me. He always wanted to belong to me, and he wanted me to belong to him. And I promise you that, that that's the same thing that God wants from you. And my prayer is honestly that you would respond to it the way that I did with an overwhelming sense of, oh wow, how awesome that the one who spoke the world into the universe, that spoke the universe into existence, wants a relationship with me, chases me, desires me, pursues me, is absolutely enthralled with me. Go figure.
Wow. And I hope your response is the same. Well, that led me to another thing, a weird thing. Next thing, second thing that God did was to clarify how the gospel applies to me. He explained the gospel to me in that passage there and a lot of others. But then he explained or clarified, how does this gospel really apply to me? And how he did that was he took me to another passage. I want to read that to you. It's in Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to read verses 25 through 29, and then we'll continue on. Luke 10, 25 says this. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify, judge, he wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Let's stop there for a minute. Who is my neighbor? What this passage is really revealing is this, is there's this guy, he understands the Bible, he gets it, he, you know, the Bible didn't exist back then, but work with me. This guy understood the religious practices of the day. He understood the Old Testament writings. He understood what was given basically to the people by God, and this expert understood exactly through his own pursuit and study of the scriptures that were available to him at that time, exactly what God wanted from him. He intellectually understood that it meant to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, in other words, with everything, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. These two things being on equal plane. But something was wrong. And in all my years of reading this, this passage of Scripture, I always look at that and go, yeah, that stupid religious expert. What a punk. You know, he's just looking for a way to be able to discount Jesus and the disciples. What a punk. But then God reveals this passage to me and says, Matt, take a look at this again. Take a look at that. And what this guy was essentially asking was this. Is how do I belong to you? How am I supposed to belong to you? What does that really mean? And what God said, or what Jesus said to him is, all right, let me tell you a story. I'll explain it to you. That is in verse 30 through 37. Let's pick it up there. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him there. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. See, what Jesus did for this man 
And what he did for me in this passage is he opened it up for the first time for my eyes to be able to see, and that was, is I'm the religious expert. I'm the one judging. He showed this guy, and he showed me in one story that there are people who I despise, just like this man did. A Jew hates a Samaritan. They're a half-breed. They're a worthless, good-for-nothing group of people who twist and pervert the things that were held sacred by the Jews, their rules. They worshipped in a different place. They worshipped in a different way. They went about it in a different way. Everything about these people were vile. They actually were at one point in time like part Jew, but they're not anymore. And so that's even worse. They're traitors. They're betrayers. And so the Jews despised them. They wouldn't eat with them. They wouldn't be around in a social place with them. They wouldn't even acknowledge them. And so what Jesus was saying to this man, this religious expert, is, is the person that you despise the most is the person that I want you to love. I want you to invest in them in such a way that you get dirty in the process of doing so. That's what I want. That's your neighbor. Matt, the people that you don't like, the people that you despise, the people who have hurt you, all of those people that you have considered to be unsafe, those are the ones I want you to love. Whoa. You mean, you mean, what you're saying is, God, is that this whole thing about me being covered under this protective layer of love that shields me from being seen as the pathetic loser, you want me to extend that same kind of thing to other people and no longer see them for what they're guilty of, but you want me to just love them? See, what God revealed to me was is this, as I was essentially playing the part of God. I was essentially saying, there are certain people that I want the gospel to apply to, and then there are other people that I would just assume that they would burn in hell. Literally. My attitude was, if you going to heaven has anything to do with me, I'm not in. Go to hell. I don't care. And God revealed to me, dude, you don't love you are not fulfilling that command of loving me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and then to love your neighbor as yourself. You are a judgmental person. God didn't leave me there, though. He revealed to me what the gospel really meant. He clarified it for me and then he clarified how the gospel applies to me. The gospel applies to me and to everybody else equally the same. If I want to make it exclusive, then I exclude myself. That's how he clarified it to me. But then he went a step further. And the third thing God did was he clarified me to me. I'm old, I know that must sound like I made a mistake there. No, I didn't. He clarified me to me. Last week, Pastor Brian talked about this woman that was caught in adultery and all the Pharisees and the religious leaders they take this woman and they drag her into the, the city, someplace there where Jesus was at, and they, they drop her down at his feet. And they're, ah, we caught this woman red-handed in adultery. She's guilty. And everybody knows she's guilty. Everybody knows that she's guilty of it. How they know that, I don't know. But everybody there knew and understood that she was guilty. And they asked Jesus to join them in judging. What do you think we should do? And they recite the law to him. And Jesus agrees with them, absolutely. This is what the law requires, is that she be put to death. Stoning. They take rocks, big ones, and they bounce them off of her head and body until they know that she is dead. That's the process. 
And so he says, okay, let loose, go ahead, chuck those rocks. But before you do so, here's what I ask you to do. And what Jesus asked them to do was to judge themselves. Instead of judging her, take just a moment, turn your eyes on yourself and judge yourself and answer the question, are you without sin? Are you somehow, some way, inescapable from the same fate that she is about to experience? The story goes that every single one of them either dropped or set those rocks down and they walked away, starting with the oldest to the youngest. And last week, Brian, he, he posed the question as to, well, well, I wonder why. I wonder what was going through their head when they, they walked away. It would be nice to think that some of them were like, dang, yeah, you know what? Man, I am, I am guilty. I am guilty. I am just like this woman. This woman that I didn't want any belonging with, I have belonging with now, and I feel sympathy for her because I know that I could be in her shoes You'd like to think, I'd like to think that that's what they were thinking as they walked away. But they walked away. And maybe Brian was right. Maybe some of them were like, dude, I have seen this guy read people's mail and minds. <laughs> There's no way I am sticking around for him to start writing my sins in the dirt. I'm out of here, beat cheeks. Don't know. What we do know is this. Every single one of those people left they didn't come back. They did not stay. So they weren't there to see the coolest part of the whole story. The coolest part of the whole story is when Jesus and this woman are there in this moment where he says, I know the truth about you and so do you. And when nobody else wants to belong to you, I do. I'll belong with you. I'll belong with you. And I want you to belong to me. Go and sin no more. I won't judge you. Go and sin no more. Story after story, God started revealing to me when he was clarifying me to me. He told me the story of this, this woman, a Samaritan woman. Jesus is going up to the Galilee area and he decides to cut through Samaria, which Jews never do. He cuts through Samaria and he stops at a well in the middle of the day. He sends his disciples off to go and buy some food. And a woman comes out in the middle of the day to get water. Women don't go out in the middle of the day to get water. That's when it's its hottest. They go out in the morning. It's a social thing. They're hanging out with all the other girls. Hey, hey, how you doing? What's going on in your world? Oh, it's so good to see you. I love your shawl. That's what women do, you know, back then. Get some water, talk about their, their dew. Not her. Middle of the day, all by herself. Totally unexpected. Sees this Jewish dude hanging out there at the well. That's weird. And then he speaks to her. Scandalous. He asked her for some water, and she's like, oh, that's unexpected, too. That's weird. And then this conversation ensues, and we find out why she's going in the middle of the day all by herself. Jesus says, listen, I've got something great for you. I've got something amazing for you. Go get your husband. She's like, I'm not married. He's like, you're right. Thank you. You spoke the truth. In fact, you've been married five times, and you've been divorced five times, and now you're shacked up and living with some dude that's not your husband. Skank. You know what she would be called in our day and age? Not Jesus. Jesus is like, I get you. I know your story. I know the truth about who you are. And I'm willing to belong to you. Are you willing to belong to me? 
And this woman went back and told the story of the Messiah who was there to bless them. And it says that the whole entire city ended up coming to Christ on that day. Jesus led me to the story of his prodigal son. The prodigal son who essentially said, Dad, you know, I, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance and I want it now. I don't feel like waiting until you're dead. I wish you were dead now so I had some money to go and do what I want to do. And dad's like, fine, man, I, I will cash you out. I will cash you out. And he gives his son this lump sum of money and off he goes and he is playing and partying, kicking up his heels and having a great time. And he comes to the end of himself and he is broke and he's competing with pigs for food. And he comes to a realization of truth where he says, you know what? I don't, I don't even deserve to be called a part of this family anymore. I don't even, I don't have what it takes to be considered a son. I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my dad that I am sorry that I have sinned against him, that I have sinned against God. Treat me as a slave from this point on because that's all I am good for. And hopefully he will take me back. But we're told that the dad sees him from afar off. And when he sees his son, he runs to him and embraces him with, with his love. And his son's like, Dad, I'm so sorry I've sinned against you. I don't deserve to be treated as a son anymore. Just treat me as a slave. And the dad says to him, Dude, you belong to me and I belong to you. God revealed to me another story. Thieves on a cross and Jesus is between them. One thief is like, man, if you really are the Messiah, why don't you get yourself off that cross and get me off here too? Come on, show yourself, man up. The other thief is like, man, <laughs> listen, I deserve to die for what I've done. I get it now. I, this, this is just, this is just, but this guy hasn't done anything wrong. Jesus, I know that you're innocent. Will you do me a favor? When you enter into your kingdom, can I belong to you? Because I'm at the end here. I don't deserve it, but will you please remember me anyway? And in that moment of truth, it's the same story, the same story, the same theme in all the stories, same theme over and over and over again. All these people had something happen to them. They became clarified to themselves. They understood exactly who they were because they judged themselves. And they saw themselves for what they really were. And no longer were they able to look at everybody else and go, oh, you're so inferior. You're so pathetic compared to me. They were too busy looking at themselves and going, I am so pathetic. And I know I don't deserve your mercy. I, I, I deserve your justice. I don't deserve to be saved. I am unworthy of being worthy. But that truth we are told, always brings God's grace. And all those stories, when the person came to the moment of truth where they recognized, you know what, my own judgment of myself is, is I am no better than anybody else. I'm no better. God is right there in that moment, ready to give grace and say, perfect. That's exactly where I needed you to be. I need you to be at a place where you no longer saw yourself as better but you saw yourself as being simply loved by me, and that's enough. I'm the one that makes you whole. I'm the one that makes you clean. God clarified me to me, but you know what? He didn't leave me at that. There was one other thing. <clears throat> Remember when I told you earlier that God crashed into my world? I want to tell you about that crash. See, all you churchy people, you probably grew up having a favorite disciple too. I mean, I did. 
And my favorite disciple, I mean, there were 12 of them, so it wasn't exactly an extensive choice or selection. And then, of course, there was Judas, and he was a flake, and so we can count him off the list. So there's really only 11 to choose from in terms of cool disciples. I chose Peter. Peter's cool. Hothead, bombastic, passionate. I'm going to die for you, Jesus. Takes out a sword. He's hacking off ears. And Jesus is like, dude, put your sword away, man. Come on. Oh, okay. I'm going I'm to die for you. When the moment came... Peter denies him. He's like, man, a curse come upon me if I am lying here. I don't know this man. I have nothing to do with this man. And at the time when Peter really could have shown what he was made of, he did. He was a coward. And he tucked his tail between his legs and he lied and he let his best friend go without anybody there to fight or defend him. Just like Jesus said he would. And the weight of that betrayal played a heavy, heavy, he took a heavy toll on Peter's life. I'm one of those guys who I am, I am loyal. I am loyal to a fault. And people who are disloyal, I really struggle with. And so I struggled with Peter mainly because I struggled with me. I was the betrayer too. And the day that God crashed into my world on that plane, his words to me were, Matt, Peter's sin was big, no doubt, but my love covers it. I can cover yours too if you let me. I can cover all of it, make it disappear. Dude, all you got to do is just let me. And that day when God crashed into my world, he took me through this process that I just shared with you. And then the last thing that he left me with was this. See, I would go through and I would read 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 3 Peter. I just loved anything I could get from Peter because, again, he was somewhat of a hero of mine. And of all the incredible, cool things that he could write to the church, of all the super-duper words of wisdom that people would look at and go, okay, this is what I need to do. Ah, this is great. Sink my teeth into this one. He actually gave me a most important thing. It's in 1 Peter 4, 8. This is what he says. Most important of all, Continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Peter knew what he was talking about here. He knew that love covered a multiple of sins and that they were his. And so what this admonition is to me, to you, to all of us, is quit judging other people. Instead, love other people. Even if that means that you're going to be sweeping some sins underneath a covering, sweeping some sins underneath a rug. Let God deal with their sin. It's not your job. It's not my job. It's not my job to judge. It's my job to love. The command is to love God, not judge God. To love God with all my heart, some mind, and strength. And then to love my neighbor, not judge my neighbor. To love my neighbor as myself. And he gave me a really great, gave us a really great example of what that's supposed to look like. And my prayer is today is that if you haven't gone through that process, that it begins today. Let me pray for you. Lord, I love the way you love me. I love the way that you care for me. I love the fact that you were so patient with me. I love the fact, Lord, that all those years when I hated you and couldn't stand you and couldn't stand any, anybody really that had anything to do with you, that even throughout all of that, that you never once, ever once were guilty of the things that I charged you with, that I judged you with, and that you still pursued me, that you weren't like me, that you just decided, well, you know what, Matt's a lost cause. 
you continued to chase and to hound, and I love you for that. I love that I can count on this fact that there isn't a person in this room that you don't know intimately because you made them and you created them and that even right now, you know exactly what the next step is for each person in this room to be a little bit closer to you than what they were yesterday. For many, that might just be stopping all this judgment, all this attitude of trying to to place people in categories without, without ever really looking at ourselves and going, I'm so thankful for God's mercy. I'm so thankful that he has withheld judgment from me. Why am I doing it to so many other people? Maybe that's their next step. For some, maybe it's taking the first step. It's coming into a place like this today and going, you know what? <laughs> if, if God is that kind of a God that loves me and wants to belong to me in spite of the fact that I got all this sin in my life and that he's willing to cover all of it by me just simply placing my faith in him to be the one to do it, then I want that. And if that's you and you're listening right now, I'm going to make a simple prayer. And you can either take the words and make them your own or you can just embrace them as your own and say, yeah, Lord, that's my prayer. And it would be simply this. Lord, Father, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I, I need you. I, I want you. I, I want you to forgive me. I want to belong to you. I want you to belong to me. I I don't want to live this life anymore in any way that is like what I've been living. I I need forgiveness. I need you to cover my sin. I need you to make me spotless and holy and blameless without a single fault. Will you please do that for me? And I ask that you'd help me to forgive other people, to not judge them, to look at them with love, to embrace them the way that you would have me to. I don't have the strength to do that. You're going to have to teach me how. I surrender. I give up. I want you. I want to belong to you. And if that's your prayer, the Bible says that the moment of your belief in your heart with the confession of your mouth that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are marked and identified, and you may even be feeling the presence of God right now if that was your prayer. Father, I... I know that there's an opportunity for every single person to walk away from this place here today completely changed. Living their lives in such a way that the excitement and the joy that comes from being saved will permeate every part of their life and it'd be something that spills off onto other people and I pray that that would be so. That people would walk away from this place truly happy, really happy. I know, Lord, that it has nothing to do with me nothing to do with any person who played any part today in trying to to represent you, to be a person who would glorify you is what we want to do. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified and that all the work that we have done would be for your honor and for your glory and not for ourselves. But it would be worthless if people didn't walk away from this place changed. So we ask that you do that. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Ushers are here, and we're going to sing one last song, and I pray that you make the words of this song a prayer of yours. We are going to take an offering. If you're new at this today, feel free to let that pass by, but if you've been blessed by what you've heard here today and you want to support, obviously, you're more than welcome to do so. For those of you who are a part of East Point, you know that we count and rely upon you to support the work that's done here. Today, if you are interested in taking communion, 
We have a communion available on each side of the room. Feel free to do that on your way out, or if you want prayer, you can make your way forward and everybody else is making their way out. I will be here. Some other pastors will be here. We'd love to pray with you. It is truly my prayer today that you do walk away from this place all happy because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, covering us with his blood. God bless you guys. I hope you have an awesome day. Hope to see you next week.